Hey guys, Sean here. Welcome to the F1 Word and to the F1 Word podcast episode number one. A little bit of a debrief about the Baku Grand Prix, the Azerbaijan Grand Prix, if you will. We've got a few of your questions to answer today. And we're going to be joined by Fergal Walsh from Motorsport Week and Stuart, a.k.a. Chain Bear, as well. Uh, how this is going to work, I'm going to go through three topics, probably two questions in each one. Uh, obviously, tyres is the big talking point around this weekend, so that's where we're going to start. We're also going to talk about Vettel's form and a bit about safety as well. We'll fly through all of those uh, in around 40 to 60 minutes. But as with any podcast, uh, it is as long as it will need to be. And I've even got some backup questions just in case. But we are going to hop straight into it uh, and say... A good morning, although this is going out in the afternoon, so I guess a good whatever to Stuart, a.k.a. Chamber. Hello, Stuart. Hello, Sean. Nice to be here in a brand new format. Yes, uh, good weekend, Baku. Absolutely cracking. I mean, F2, F1, uh, qualify was incredible. Practice had its moments. Brilliant weekend. We want more of that, definitely. Yeah, it was fun, wasn't it? And a little bit of a... Uh... What would you say? Sort of a mix-up in the in the pecking order. I don't think this is a season where we're going to have a a, a very stable form book, is it? Which is fine, absolutely fine. Absolutely, <laughs> uh, and also uh, a very good whatever. That's what we're calling it now. Uh, and welcome to the F One Word uh, Motorsport Week's journalist extraordinaire, Fergal Walsh. Hello, mate. Welcome to the channel. Hello, thank you. Yeah, my uh, first ever appearance. So um, yeah, happy to be here. Did you enjoy the weekend? I know you messaged me on Sunday to say it was a bit exhausting. <laughs> yeah, it was. Uh, I don't know, it was something else. It it gave us a lot of storylines, a lot of headlines, um, and yeah, I mean, like you said, it's that unpredictability that is just makes it so exciting. Not only the race, but you know, the it, the race itself had big championship implications. So um, yeah, just so exciting. It's actually quite. You say championship implications. It's quite a weird one, isn't it? Because. Hamilton and Verstappen are as they were, despite everything that went on. So I just, I, it's quite crazy that weekend, but it was, it was brilliant. We talked about that in the live stream on Sunday. Uh, if you're on YouTube, link on screen now, if you want to go and check that one out uh, a little bit later, but let's kick straight into these questions. Thank you to everybody who submitted them on YouTube and on Twitter. We will put a post out after every race weekend. Uh, so you guys can uh, throw some questions our way. Question one uh, comes from PJ Harwood over on YouTube, over on the YouTubes, says, what should the implications be for Pirelli after this race? Two tyre failures that could have caused major injury completely out of the driver and team's control, not even any warning that they were going to blow. First of all, Stuart, massively dangerous. Um, very concerning as well. I know Pirelli have come out and said that initial investigations suspect or suggest it could have been debris rather than... Uh, something structural or a complete failure there but really concerning do you think there needs to be some kind of action against Pirelli or is this one of those things where we really do need to wait and make sure that we're not jumping on them too hard given that it could just have been a bit of debris it's tricky isn't it and I think we do need to uh, oh, oh wait what, what hopefully will be some published results of uh, investigations into those tyres they are saying that uh, the tyres that blew weren't the most stressed corner of the car, and they found some cuts on uh, Hamilton's tyre, which suggests there might be some debris around. Um, and also the fact that uh, there was no warning prior to the tyres giving out suggests that there may have been some damage rather than than wear. Um, but having said that, I, I think what we saw was... I mean, unacceptable is a strong word, but definitely something we don't uh, want to see happening. And 
something needs to happen to kind of prevent this this from happening, even if it was uh, having some system in place to thoroughly check what's going on after Stroll's incident, just to make sure that wasn't uh, something to be expected. Stro- you know, Stroll, Stroll was on the alternate strategy in that first stint, so he was the first person to really push that tyre pretty far. Um, and we did start, after that accident happened, we did start to worry about what would happen to these uh, drivers who started on the softs and moved on to a long medium stint. Um, luckily, we didn't we didn't see anything other than Verstappen's incident, but um, <sighs> implications for Pirelli. <sighs> the problem we've been having is that this isn't the first time we've had races where Pirelli tires no. have given out on multiple cars throughout the race, and these are supposed to be stronger uh, structural tires as well. Um, On the uh, and the other side of the coin is I think we're going to we're going to different um, shapes of tires next year as well, which will have smaller sidewalls and will hopefully actually be stronger and have less stresses on the uh, where the sidewall meets the uh, tread. So it's it's a tricky one in balance. I'm I'm hoping. I mean, we're coming to Silverstone soon, which is has been a tiebreaker on multiple occasions. So I am hoping Pirelli and the FAA take this seriously in terms of just checking these tyres as suitable. And um, yeah, it's tricky to know what exactly they should be doing about this. It's difficult without that investigation, isn't it? The findings of that, mm. because I think the reason I say unacceptable is I probably could have worded that better in that it's unacceptable if it transpires that that was a structural failure. I mean, Max Verstappen has yeah. said um, that sort of came out after the race and said, well, of course, Pirelli are going to say it's debris. They don't want to take any responsibility. So there seems to be um, a breakdown of trust in some ways between the drivers and Pirelli. And maybe that's been coming for a while. Like you say, you know, this isn't the first time we've seen it. A few years ago at Silverstone, lots of tyres were exploding. And somewhere like Silverstone, you've got the hangar straight, Baku, that massive straight. It's a massive, massive safety problem. And and they've got to, they've got to investigate this thoroughly, as I'm sure they will or I hope they will, but I'm sure they will. But it is a massive concern, isn't it, Fergal? What's, do you think, we, is, it, is it just a case of waiting to see what Pirelli uncover with this? Because it could be that it was just a bit of debris that set Stroll off and then somebody picked up a bit of debris or Max Verstappen picked up some debris from Stroll's incident. As, as easy as that. I mean, it might be. Uh, I think, you know, Baku is a, it's a street circuit, so the chance for there to be more debris on the track compared to a, a regular circuit is probably a lot higher, you would think. Um, and yeah, I mean, I don't want to really point any fingers um, or make any accusations or at least not too heavy accusations right now um, while we don't have the full report from Pirelli. But um, I mean, either way, it was just a, a very scary thing, especially, you know, where Stroll and Verstappen um, both had their spins. You know, there's it was along the straight, you know, there's not much cornering load at that point in the track. There still is load going on the tire because of the, the high speeds, but, um, you know, it's still extremely, um, extremely dangerous and uh, was yeah, very scary because that's one of, or if not the fastest part of any racetrack that the drivers will, will visit during the year. So, um, and, you know, for Verstappen's incident, especially, if the car went the other way, he would have been straight into the divider along the, or he could have been into, into the divider um, for the pit lane and the track. And, you know, that would have been horrendous to look at. I think that happened in at the Indy 500 uh, a couple of years ago. So, um, 
you know, really, really frightening stuff to see. Um, and yeah, obviously, this stuff will be taken seriously because, like you said, it, it is a huge safety concern. But um, yeah, whatever, you know, F1 doesn't rest on these kind of things. Um, you know, every incident is, is taken very seriously and investigations are done and fixes are put in place to um, to sort this out. But yeah, a tire failure um, in any respect um, at, at that sort of speed is yeah, unacceptable and um, really, really frightening. Absolutely. I mean, I don't know what this but was. Uh, Max Verstappen would have been, was he 200 mile an hour at that point? Because you're coming to the end of the straight, aren't you, by then? So... It's a it's a huge accident and a huge amount of damage. I did see one question actually, not that we're going to bring it up, but somebody asking about who's going to foot the bill for this one. I mean, do the teams still have to pay it? Does that just come under one of those? Unfortunately, guys, these things happen in Formula One. That's your bill, or are Pirelli going to have to to compensate teams? It'll be interesting to see what comes out after all this because if it's a a bit of debris, then I'd imagine Pirelli will say, "Well, these things happen. You've got to pay the bill." But if it turns out to be a massive structural failure, then that's not the team's fault. Pirelli might have to pay out a bit like we saw with George Russell last year in FP1. I think Williams went after compensation, didn't they, from from the back of organisers because that drain cover came loose and that's not their fault. So that's something else to keep an eye on. But safety is absolutely paramount in these decisions. And I think that the FIA, for the most part, they do investigate these things thoroughly and we do generally see changes. The problem is these tyres are, are locked in now to the end of the year. You can't do what we've seen in the past with concerns and go back to last year's tyres because they are um, a different construction and they were changed because they were concerned about the downforce levels, etc., etc., and tyres failing. So they can't go backwards. So we're stuck with these for the rest of the year. Just, I'm a little bit concerned, Stuart, I'll be honest, that this might make Pirelli change their allocation for the year. If, 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 I'm going to keep saying if, <laughs> it turns out that there was an issue with the, the construction because that means they might go even more cautious and we might end up with really hard tyres for tracks where you really don't need to and we end up with a, effectively teams being able, if they wanted to, to do a no-stop. I know they can't buy the rules, but you know, run one set of tyres to the end and that's that's going to be detrimental to the racing. So obviously safety first in that aspect though. Yeah, and the, I mean, to be honest, I've been thinking about this kind of thing a little bit after after these incidents on Sunday, and also the you know how necessary it is to have stints driven by you know how long how long the compounds will last because um, that's essentially what Pirelli's entire job has been since they turned up because since we took away refueling, which I still agree with as a sort of general concept, but all of that kind of strategy has shifted away from how light can you run the car to how long can you run the tire? And that, and it's been on Pirelli to provide tires that uh, have a certain lifespan and degrade in a certain way um, in order to force teams to, you know, implement, you know, one, two pit stops. Um, and they have been, you know, the last couple of years, they've been saying, we, you know, we're trying to get them to move on to two pit stops. Um, but in doing that, of course, you force teams to... Stretch the life of those tires in ways that may, you know, cause this kind of thing to happen. Um, you know, maybe, maybe this was debris, but there have been times where the tires have failed. Um, in which case, if we want this kind of thing in general, do we move to a a mandatory two stop? Do we have mandatory limits on how long you can run a compound at a given track? The way they they put mandatory pressures. Uh, minimum pressures on the tires to kind of just keep them uh, structurally sound. Um, but also, 
I'm kind of thinking I'd, I'd prefer to just have racing where, th- where people can run flat out on their tyres and we don't have to worry about this kind of wear degradation thing and, and hopefully having since uh, where that's not the, the, key, the key part of the stints, I think. So it's sort of more direct answer to your question. I'm kind of hoping if they do move to a sort of harder compounds, uh, more cautious compounds for the rest of the season, I'm hoping that's not detrimental to the racing because we'll still see... Um, good battles between people who are probably going to be on the same tyres anyway and um, you know be able to race each other without having to uh, play silly strategies with Pirelli rubber if that all makes sense yeah yeah I, I, and I kind of as Fergal said I don't want to throw around accusations because we don't know we, we have no information other than what we're told uh, from Pirelli but they did up the tyre pressures earlier in the weekend so I wonder if there was a concern somewhere that they'd seen something in the data somewhere. Oh, it sounds like a daily briefing, something in the data. Uh, they've seen something in the data somewhere <laughs> that, that says, you know, we need to put these pressures because the curbs are doing this or whatever. But I kind of feel like on past experience or whatever from watching, Pirelli would have said we've had to up the pressures because of this rather than we've just up to them, if that makes sense. But they're kind of caught between a rock and a hard place, aren't they, Fergal? Because we as fans want... Lots of action, tyres that degrade, lots of pit stops, lots of drama, lots of twists and turns. F1 bosses kind of want something similar, maybe not to the extent that some... I, I know some people who would like to see four or five pit stops a race, like we used to get uh, sort of not long after Pirelli first came in, but they don't quite want that. They want the entertainment, and then the teams want tyres that will go as long as possible. So Pirelli are kind of caught between a, a rock and a hard place, aren't they, with that one? Yeah, I mean, it's... <laughs> I sort of feel a bit sorry for Pirelli because um, it kind of just feels like they can't really win. Because if we remember, we used to have tires that, um, you know, a few years ago, we used to have tires that degraded um, quite quickly. And people back then complained that, um, you know, there was no there was no action because people were trying to or the drivers were trying to save their tires um, because they were going to be making multiple pit stops in the race anyway. Um, And then when we get these more durable tires um you know it well we tried to get more durable tires but like i mean the thing is teams are just they've become so good at um, preserving tire life and extending stints um as to reduce the amount of pit stops during a race which you know saves them more time on the track and you know effectively is a faster strategy um and yeah it it is very difficult uh to to work out that solution because everyone now is so data driven um there's so much information available to the teams through all the practice sessions that they do and you know they've they've been able to gather such a good understanding on how the tires work and how they're able to save the tires um so i mean you know sure said there about introducing mandatory pit stops that's potentially a a solution you know mandatory two-stop race but um you know i feel like any sort of change you implement in f1 it gets ridiculed by um, a big portion of people anyway um but it's i mean i'm glad that i'm not in that position to make these decisions because it's very tough and uh it's not easy and there's definitely i guess there's no right solution because whatever you do it's going to upset people and um, I think, you know, F- F1 sort of has been going towards a more of a, let's say, entertainment show format over the last couple of years. I mean, we could see that with the um, 
the sprint races that are being introduced this year. So I think that will come into consideration going forward. And if that's the case, then that maybe that might mean having mandatory pit stops um, in a in a race, and that could make Pirelli's job um, a lot easier. I think the only trouble for me with or the only problem with mandatory two stoppers i think you could you could introduce a mandatory 10 stop race and there's always going to be one team or one driver that pushes the limits of what the tires can do to extend a stint and we could still see tire blowouts so i'm not quite so sure if that's i know a lot of people would love to see mandatory two stoppers but i'm not i'm not sure um yeah it, it would spice things up definitely but obviously again we have to wait for investigations we'll see what pirelli say uh, over the next few days and hopefully we'll hear something before paul ricard they should be pretty swift i think the tires have been shipped off to Milan pretty swiftly because uh, they need to be checked out before we get to Paul Ricard. can't remember what tyres they are in, in France, actually. There might be uh, different compounds, but I'll have a look at that a bit later. But make sure you're following... Check This is just a brilliant plug. Uh, make sure you're following uh, Motorsport Week for all the updates on tyres and all the F1 news and Motorsport news, and I'll uh, let you know on the channel as well. But this kind of... Uh, I wanted to cover this question as well, and this is why I've kind of got a couple of questions for each of these. Is uh, This came from Findlay on YouTube as well. So should F1 have renewed Pirelli's contract or should they have given Hancock a shot? Um, obviously, too late really to be talking about should they because they have, and obviously the pandemic has had its, um, its say on that in many ways. But do you think maybe if this is something that does turn out to be not debris and it's an issue with the tyres themselves and and it comes to Pirelli's contract renewal would you maybe think Stuart in the future they could look at someone like a Hancock or maybe a Bridgestone see if it's if Michelin wants to come back they've never had any tyre issues at all Michelin so why not bring him back in that was sarcasm by the way (laughs) (laughs) I think although well you know Michelin the tyres are now going the way Michelin have been asking for uh for years in that they're going to the low profile thing so uh, at least they'll be happy. But thing is, I think sort of maybe as we, we've already said, Pirelli have, for the most part, been doing what has been asked of them. And, and that has occasionally put them in positions uh, where the tyres are being pushed beyond um, their means. But, you know, they have responded to uh, what Formula One and the FAA have asked them to, to do, with, be it those early days where they were, they you know, wore out quite quickly to induce more more pit stops um, or where they had a, a, a tire life profile where there was a cliff and then they brought it back so they would last longer and degrade over a long period. You know, they they get asked a lot of things to do and they tend to do them. And, and we have had occasional times uh, where there have been failures. And I, But I also think, um, you know, we're not in the era of Formula One, which uh, Bridgestone and I guess Michelin, you know, t- people before them, um, but there was a particular Bridgestone era where where Bridgestone were getting tyre tests, you know, monthly. Uh, Ferrari would go take them round Fiorano or whatever and, and do a whole day's testing just just for Bridgestone. Like, um, uh, these days, Michelin get, not Michelin, uh, Pirelli get, um, or this year particularly, they're getting, uh, you know, s- some testing for these new, uh, new sh- structure tyres for 2022. But in general, they... They get that tire test in Abu Dhabi, and then they just have to learn from uh, winter testing, free practice, and and the races and stuff. They they their ability to just run these tires to their death isn't as thorough as in the old days. And I think sometimes we are going to have failures. It's not that they're failing every single race, and I think they do need to make sure they you know 
they are what I guess you'd call Silverstone safe, um, where they are like really loaded up. Um, but to be honest, I, I am not, I'm not surprised Pirelli keep getting their contract upgraded because they do do what's asked of them for the most part. And I think to follow on from um, kind of what Fergal said, I think they're this sort of very online sort of sort of with social media kind of having a more direct more immediate reaction between fans and the sport and stuff i think this does tend to have an environment where you're seeing a lot of criticism no matter what happens so and then we need to be careful to be too reactionary because i think no matter what we do whether it's something that's a bit gimmicky or something that's a bit conservative people are going to go this is rubbish i hate it what are they doing this and we need to be sure we're making decisions that make the most sense given the information we have and what we want from the sport. So I'm not, I, I, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if we if we get more Pirelli in future and, and that Pirelli have continued to be the main supplier. Yeah, and I mean, imagine if social media had been prominent in 2005 at Indy. Could you imagine oh, quite. The, <laughs> the chaos that would cause online? Um, super quickly before we move on, Fergal, would you like to see a a new tyre supply coming to replace Pirelli or even a return of the tyre war. That'd be a lot of fun. I know expensive, but it could be quite fun for fans. Yeah. Um, to be honest, I, it's hard for me to judge or to, or you know, to have a, a really solid opinion because it's sort of hard to know what another tyre manufacturer would bring to the sport when, you know, we haven't seen anything, for, you know, but Pirelli over the last... What a decade or so, um, and yeah, Pirelli currently have a contract through um, two thousand and twenty-four. They see the um, the contract. It was they did what three years rolling, and then the latest contract was four years, I think, um, because of the introduction of the twenty twenty-one tires or now the twenty twenty-two tires, um, when they wanted to give them time to. Um, we recoup the the losses for the development of those tires so um so yeah pirelli will be around for another few years anyway um and yeah i mean i i don't really know what a tire war would bring i'm not sure fans would really like that um because it would i i think you know well i i, I don't i don't think i'd like that or at least i wouldn't like to have tires being such a major influence on you know a potential championship fight um, I think that would be quite unfair. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think I don't really see Pirelli leaving F1 anytime soon. I think they have a, uh, well, clearly they have a pretty good relationship with Formula One. Um, they're knowledgeable in Formula One. And, you know, any any sort of incident like this um, where there is a failure or there is something that has people talking, there are going to be questions asked about Pirelli and does F1 need to, you know, go go a different direction? But, you know, I think for the most part, Pirelli, you know, they haven't, they haven't, you know, done a terrible job. As Stuart said, it's not like these tires are failing every single race. Um, you know, th- there are tire failures, but I think you can't expect everything to be perfect on that end, especially when, well, I'm not blaming the teams, but, you know, sometimes if the teams are stretching things um, or if Pirelli is, you know, make, make, makes a mistake in bringing a certain allocation to a race, but is that enough for them to be, you know, shown the door in F1? I don't think so, as long as they understand, you know, if they do go wrong and there are failures that you know, are, are 
is that are their fault then you know if they learn from that if they put in fixes then and i don't i don't really think there's much of a problem but at the end of the day i guess it comes down to be on track excitement and if um the tires can play a part in that but not you know such a such a huge influence influence on the championship as a whole but i think for now sorry i've gone on a bit of a ramble but um <laughs> it's all right for, for, <laughs> but i think um i think f1 is fine with pirelli it's basically what i'm saying for now um unless things take a, a dramatic turn and we see a lot more things like this um but you know people make mistakes all the time and i it's kind of hard to say that because you know you're playing with drivers that are going 200 miles an hour down down straight but um yeah, I, I think it, it should be okay. Um, and I don't think there is any need for Pirelli really to be shown the door by F1 just yet, anyway. <laughs> so, rambling and waffling, you, you're going to fit in fantastically here, Fergal. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. I, I think ultimately, like I said a couple of times now, we're just going to have to wait for investigations. May turn out that it was debris and it's nothing to do with Pirelli. Might turn out to be 100% their fault. We will find out uh, in the coming weeks. But let's move on. And that does actually move us on quite nicely to safety. And this one comes from uh, at Steckleton over on Twitter or at Steckleton on F1 over on Twitter. Uh, says this was a pretty poor display again. No safety car with a driver on track. Way too late safety car calls. How can it be that race direction is one of the biggest safety problems in F1 right now? And that is followed up uh, also over on Twitter by at Beta Alpha Male, who says, does Michael Massey need to go? It took a ridiculous amount of time for him to call a safety car after Strolls and Verstappen's crashes and the countless other things he's messed up in recent years. I feel like we've discussed this quite often Stuart Michael Massey some of his decision making we've seen things um we saw that at the weekend stroll in the middle of the tracks sort of say over the radio red flag red flag get me out of here very dangerous place to leave a car Charles Leclerc told over team radio by his team stay to the left on the straight we're still racing he comes out and says this is ridiculous that's that's stupid basically why are we still racing when there's a a car and a driver at the side of the track and debris everywhere why and then even things like Oh, was it Turkey last year when there was a crane still on track when they restarted Q2 and Michael Massey sort of came out and said, well, hang on a minute, you know, there was a delay in moving the crane, at which point I believe we said at the time, well, then you don't start the session until that crane or tractor or whatever is moved. But it, it seems crazy that it took so long to get a safety car out when you've got Verstappen at the end of the straight in the wall and Lance Stroll at the start of it. Yeah, yeah it's... It wasn't the best, was it? Um, especially when we were, you know, we spent the first half minute or so kind of worried about uh, what was even going on with the cars that had hit the wall. And it's, like you say, not the first time we've uh, seen what I guess is a bit of a shift in race direction. I think we could sort of say, compared to the Charlie Whiting era, the Michael Massey era seems more... I guess, I guess, weighted towards keeping the race going, keeping the entertainment going. I, I, I wouldn't go as far as to say like there are people in his ear pushing him to do one thing or another. But I think Charlie Whiting would be more cautious and ready to stop a race, suspend a race, delay a session than uh, than Michael uh, Massey is. And I think on top of that, I'm still very questioning about moving the safety car line up to the start finish line or if you know the, you know the restart line which um uh the after a safety car the race used to restart sort of uh basically around the, the final corner rather than where the start finish line is and, and now it's moved to the start finish line apparently in terms uh, of 
clarity for the audience, but you know what this actually manifests where there are long straights like Azerbaijan and, and, and Mugello where people kind of uh the, the the car leading the pack backing everything up and causing uh you know um tricky restart conditions let's say and as we saw in uh Mugello and I think the, the key thing is um you know drivers are concerned about their own safety but they will still do whatever's necessary for their own race mm -hmm. given the conditions uh they're being told like I think Charles Leclerc said like if he's told we're still racing he will still race even though he knows he's probably going through debris or something um if they haven't red flagged race they'll still they'll still go for it if the safety car line is right down the end of a long straight they'll back the pack up even if it's may cause an accident so uh because you have to still be competitive and I think that's where the job of the FIA and the stewards and the race director have to come in to just be that person that says no, stop, or you can't do this, or we have to suspend the race. <sighs> now, and I think we're basically, I, I agree, we are seeing a lot. I was going to say cavalier, but cavalier is a very strong uh, accusatory word, but I think we're seeing them be a little less cautious uh, than I would like them to be in this past couple of seasons. Yeah, I mean, people often say, you know, armchair experts, blah, blah. But of course, they're going to say that you don't know what's going on. Sort of at us, aimed at people like us but uh, and fans in general. But anybody sat at home on Sunday that saw Max Verstappen hit that wall instantly knew safety car. Why did it take so long to deploy that safety car? Because I assume it's a pretty instantaneous thing. I, I imagine it's hit a switch and let the marshals know and off we go. I, I can't imagine it takes half a lap to make that decision. And then you've got... The red flag which came out, which, by the way, I think was a brilliant idea because race is finishing behind safety cars. It's such an anti-climax. So, and, and we wouldn't have got Mark Webber's scream if we'd have started behind a safety car uh, rather than a red flag. But I think that it just seems like something that needs to be done instantly. It's not like, you know, when a car breaks down at the side of the track and maybe race control sit and think, well, can they get that away with a virtual safety car? Can we leave that at the side with double wave jellers and they can roll it out? It's not one of those incidents. It's the end of a, a very long, very fast straight. His car's sticking out and the driver's in the car. It just needs to be, surely, a, a very a very quick, easy decision, Fergal, just to say that's a safety car quite clearly because you've got debris everywhere. No fans in the grandstands at the moment, but you've still got marshals everywhere. Some of that flicks up. You just don't know what's going to happen, do you? Yeah, I mean, that uh, to me, it seemed pretty obvious at the time that you know, that warrants a... Well, I mean, at the very least, a virtual safety car or safety car... Um like you said, I mean, I don't really have too much more to add because you, you know, you saw, you could see that he he spun out on the start finish straight. There was debris there. There was his car stranded there. There was no way to move it. Um, you know, Marshall had to get onto the track. Um, so yeah, I mean, I I don't know why um it took it took that long. It was fairly obvious that it was a a um a safety car call. Um, and you're right. I I feel a bit weird saying, you know, trying to say that you know this is what race control should have done when I'm you know at, you're sitting in my chair. But it it just seemed a bit obvious that it needed um you know a safety car intervention um because it was a you know well I mean it it doesn't really matter that it was a very high speed um part of the track compared to a, a slower speed um a corner or, or section because 
you know, marshals are coming on the track, a car has to be recovered. Um, the driver for stopping has, has to get back to has to cross the the um, the straight to get back to the pits. So, um, yeah, big question marks there, um, and really not a, a good look. Um, but you know, hopefully, there's lessons to be learned from it. We got away with uh, no major injuries, or I mean, worse um, here this time around. But hopefully, something like that doesn't happen again, um, because that was that was a bit extreme, um, especially compared to some other uh, incidents that, you know, you've already talked about, um, you know, that that's you know such a high speed area. So, uh, yeah, not a good look, but luckily nothing detrimental happened and we, um, you know, everyone was, was safe. But uh, yeah, for sure, it could have been a lot worse and I'm really, really happy it wasn't. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Again, you know, some credit to the FIA, testament to them for the safety of these cars, definitely. Uh, but I do, maybe it's just me, something just came to me. I feel like we've seen safety cars deployed more quickly for lesser incidents um, in recent years, which really is quite baffling to me in many ways. But sort of to get to the 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 beta alpha males question over on Twitter, does Michael Massey need to go? It seems really harsh. And I kind of, I feel a little bit for him in the sense that, and I may well be in a, a real small minority with that one. Uh, I do feel for a bit because he's not, he's not coming in and replacing someone that's done the job for five years. He's coming in to replace Charlie Whiting, who died very suddenly um, and very, very sadly, uh, who has been doing the job for decades, who didn't just do race control he did so much as well behind the scenes charlie whiting he, he i think in order to replace him they probably got several other people in to do his jobs because it was so much for one person and he you know he was the the guy in charge and with all that experience he's able to to make those calls more quickly but I, i'm not making excuses for him Stuart, at all michael massa you know a safety car when an accident like that happens it's pretty obvious it needs to be a safety car but for some of his decision making maybe it's just a a lack of experience and we are comparing him to a guy who did the job so brilliantly for for so long i think it's um this is definitely like a trickier question than should they have put a safety car out that kind of um because yeah i mean it it is a hard job he's clearly uh a different person to charlie whiting and as you say Char charlie whiting built that job up from nothing and essentially was doing yeah multiple roles that didn't exist as he sort of invented them um and you know while there does need to be a race director i think yeah uh, having a team and a committee and people in charge of like uh different things i think is more likely what is happening or, or what needs to happen so i wouldn't i wouldn't go as far as saying michael massey needs to go i think they just need to maybe keep working keep improving on the uh the race direction and marshalling systems they have uh currently and um double check and improve and develop the rules they have with how they react uh to what's happening on track which i think you know, looking over the last couple of decades of, of the FIA and Formula One and stewarding, I think has been a general uh, positive uh, upcurve, and they definitely make decisions that are perhaps unpopular at the time that I think are on the right side of cautious versus uh, entertainment. Um, so, yeah, while I uh, while I am um, yeah, quite 
vocally a little bit uh, down on Massey uh, quite often when things like this happen. And I do think he is uh, uh, less cautious than Whiting was or he and his team. I, 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 do, I don't think he's necessarily should be shown the door. I just think um, maybe they need to rethink what their, their policy is um, and improve it, I think. But you might ask someone else and they'll think, I'm glad they're doing more work to keep the show going where they can. So if you know. Yeah, I get that. Like I said, it goes back to um, what was said earlier about it being a bit more entertainment these days. Maybe that's, I don't know. I don't really know what the structure is in race control at the moment. Maybe it is. Uh, I don't know if you know, Fergal, but maybe it is a case of, you know, Charlie Whiting used to make those decisions as head rest, uh, race director dude. That's his official title apparently there you go um, and he he would have made the calls himself so maybe if there are two three four people there now making the decisions perhaps that's making uh, make uh, what's making things take a little bit longer to decide just a speculative thing there but just a thought yeah i mean we all know you know what a, what a great job charlie whiting did and what he brought to that role um and that was always going to be tough to fill for for michael massey but um yeah it, it's it's not an easy job by any means um you know it, it, it it's a very intense role um a lot of things to manage um and you know he was brought into that role like you said so quickly so suddenly he was being um you know slowly warmed into it but he was really thrust into it over the the space of one race weekend um and you know, I I think for the most part during his first year, he did a pretty good job giving the circumstances. Um, you know, definitely did a good enough job that he warranted being, uh, you know, extended in that role because I think it was when he started off, it was race weekend to race weekend for the first part, if I remember correctly, and then it was like half a season, and then the second half of the season, and since then he's been in the role, but that's if I, maybe I'm getting that wrong, but I think that's what I remember happened. Um, and yeah, it, it's not it's not easy at all. Um, it's, it's a lot of pressure, but you know, at the same time, there's no escaping that, and that's the pressure that that role sort of brings, and I think you need someone there that's capable of making those decisions i i don't know if anyone can really follow up on what charlie whiting did and he like you said held multiple occupations in his role um and he did it so well and um you know doing his job um yeah definitely definitely not an easy thing but i think um when it comes to the interest of safety um you know i'm sure the faa faa will look at are the best people in place to to deal with those sort of things and make decisions from there because like i said before earlier in this in this podcast safety is priority in in everything that they do um so you know it's something that will be considered but um you know it's it's i think he's doing an, an okay job but um yeah there are certain things that have happened that i guess can't really be ignored um so i mean we'll see what happens but i don't want to you know, I don't want to kick the guy too much um, because I certainly won't be able to fulfill that role. It's very, very intense, very, very difficult. But um, yeah, I, I think if changes are needed going forward, then, you know, so be it. I'm sure the FAA will deal with that um, as they see fit. 
yeah, I, I certainly couldn't do that role and I, I wouldn't want to do that role. It's It's got to be difficult. I mean, some people might argue, maybe they'll say in the comments after this, that if he can't handle the pressure, then he needs to go because that's it's such a high pressure job. They need somebody who can handle that um, as you were kind of, of getting to there, Fergal. But I suppose as well, quite a baptism of fire for him. Uh, thrown in at the deep end to take over from Charlie Whiting. And that only got deeper with everything that went on in 2020 as well. So it's it's not been an easy few years for him uh, just forgetting his decision-making on track. So that's not an excuse. I'm not making excuses for him, but it's got to have been so tough for him with all the added pressures of the pandemic and all of that. I know a lot of that comes from the the big bosses at the FIA, but he will have been involved in some of this any sort of at the racetrack. And I, I just can't imagine um, how hard the job is anyway, but with all of that added stuff on top of it and some ridiculously huge shoes to fill. Yeah, I I, I personally... When I see these decisions, my knee-jerk reaction, because I am very reactionary, um, it takes me maybe a couple of days to sit down and look at everything and think about it. But you know, my reaction at the time is he's got to go. But then you look at everything and the decisions having to make on the fly, it's not easy. And we do need to maybe cut him a little bit of slack. But there is going to come a point where inevitably, if this continues, the FAA are going to have to say, this isn't working, Michael. We're going to have to bring somebody else in. It's inevitable if it continues to happen. But... As always, and as with the tyres, I suppose, um, <laughs> we shall see. Watch this space uh, is apparently my new catchphrase, but there you go. Uh, we will roll on because uh, I, I, we're going to sort of move away from safety and tyres and onto something I think is a, a really nice positive discussion. I'm quite, I'm quite looking forward to this one. Uh, Sebastian Vettel. Fabulous weekend in Monaco. Incredible weekend in Baku. Raven Blackwood over on the YouTubes says, is the old Vettel finally back or is this just a good, a good bit, a good but temporary, sorry, run uh, he's having? And that is followed up as well. Thank you very much, Raven. Uh, followed up by, uh, I'm going to ruin this name. And I'm, saying, I'm just going to call you Kian. And if it's wrong, please do let me know in the comments because I'm just, I'm not going to even attempt to butcher that one. Uh, do you believe that Vettel is comfortable in the Aston Martin yet? Uh, and if we should expect more podiums. Fantastic weekend. Nobody's denying that for a second, Stuart, in Monaco. Uh, fifth place, it turned out. And then this weekend, absolutely brilliant as well. 11th place in qualifying, maybe not fantastic, but another driver that was caught out by all the chaos of qualifying. But to turn that into a podium, and I said on Sunday, a lot of people will say him and Gasly were so lucky at everything that happened ahead of them. But I don't necessarily agree with that. Yes, the argument is that they've looked into the podium because of Verstappen's retirement and Hamilton's problems, but they were both, Gasly and Vettel, right in the mix with those leaders for most of that race before the chaos really kicked off. I think Vettel was superb and completely deserved driver of the day on Sunday. I don't always agree with the uh, public votes when it comes to driver of the day, but I thought spot on decision. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I was definitely calling him driver of the day, um, you know, three quarters of the way through that race. He had a, a, a wonderful drive. Um, we've definitely seen an uptick in form in the last two uh, races. Part, I think there's a, there's a couple of things going on here. I think we, we've discussed in the past uh, few races this season how a lot of the drivers who move teams seem to just struggle to get to grips with their with their new car and things and it seemed to be taking them a few races and they were underperforming how expected I mean, Perez uh, among them Ricardo um and Vettel as well um Vettel of course had that big question mark over him because of his sort of downturn in performance at Ferrari where we we're expecting him to have more wins have more podiums uh, I know last year was a, a dreadful for that team um 
But now, last couple of races, uh, including Vettel, we are seeing an active performance from those people. Um, on the one hand, they're quite different tracks than the ones we've had before. They are, you know, street circuits. Monaco in particular is a funny little track. But Vettel was really made it work for him, and he feel, felt comfortable in Monaco. He uh, put in some blinding laps around the pit stop phase to uh, to, to jump Hamilton and, and gain more positions uh, than he was given by, you know, like Leclerc being demoted to the back of the grid and so on. Um, and uh, in Baku, he he went much longer on those soft tires, which not only allowed him to do uh, more overcuts, but kept him on fresher mediums against the cars around him, which he was able to capitalize on. He didn't sort of just uh, languish and, you know, he was helped a bit by some retirements around him, but uh, some drivers might not have made that work. A lot of drivers would not have got that Aston, I need to say racing point, that Aston Martin to second place or held it um, on the restart like that. So yeah, uh, very impressive. I'm really hoping this marks, you know, I, this, this isn't sort of, uh, a street track special and as soon as they go back to sort of high downforce uh faster tracks we see a dip again but he seems happy and confident and you know part of getting performance out of the car is being in the right mindset and i think um yeah I, i'm very happy for him and I, I don't think this these last two races have just been a sort of gift of luck and strategy i think he really made it work and it's been a pleasure to see actually after the couple of years he's had yeah i mean he's, he's been smiling pretty much consistently since he got to aston but he was he was beaming on sunday wasn't he, he was after monaco and a great point on the uh the pit stops there in monaco his his laps around those stops were were so quick he, he just absolutely delivered when he needed to that's an experience thing i think as well um and confidence in having the car i mean he was he was comfortable in that car from practice so probably shouldn't have been surprised in monaco but Again, great point on the tyres, Stuart. Uh, longest stint on the mediums on Sunday was 13 laps by Kimi Raikkonen. Sebastian Vettel took the softs 18 laps. You know, we're talking about these. I know hard tyres, the longest stint was 41 laps. It's not really a comparison in that regard, but we're talking about these these potential structural problems with the tyres, but then Vettel can take a set of softs around that track under certain loads five laps longer than a harder compound. So, you know, big big question marks all over the Pirelli thing this weekend, but he's been, he's been good. Hasn't he Ferglin? I know it's been difficult first few races. There were updates to the car, I think for Monaco to the floor, I believe. So maybe that's something that's helps his driving style, but also, and Stuart said there about street circuits. It's often, I find in the years I've been watching tracks like Monaco, Baku, difficult circuits. They really tend to reward experience, don't they? Yeah, definitely. I mean, they're the most challenging circuits out there when the walls are just you know, millimeters away from from where you're placing your car. Um, yeah, I mean, it was just a, a a great. It's been a great couple of weeks by um, or a couple of race weekends by Vettel, and yeah, really capped off with a with a podium in in um, Baku. Um, yeah, I mean, it's it's nice to see. Um, and like Stuart said, the psychological. Um, you know, arrangement in that is very important as well. And I think, you know, he did suffer quite a bit in the last couple of years at Ferrari, um, especially when Charles came in and sort of made it clear that he was the future of the team and he, he sort of, you know, formed into that lead driver role, if you want to call it that. 
Um, and yet yeah, now at Aston Martin, it was a couple of tough first races. The car wasn't quite as quick as they thought it would be, um, especially compared to where uh, Racing Point were last year. Um, but yeah, you know, the, he's he stuck with it. In Monaco, it was it was great, um, a great stint. Uh, opening stints that allowed him to to jump uh, a couple of cars and then the same again here i mean he was in the lead of the race for for a bit and um was you know had some really really strong pace and um i mean maybe he did you know luck you could say into the podium result uh because of Verstappen and Hamilton's uh mishaps but you know at the same time that doesn't take away from what he achieved and you know the drive that he did because it would have been a strong result anyway. Um, but, you know, drivers look into podiums all the time, so it doesn't really make a difference. You, you know, you're not in control of what happens to other drivers. So, you know, you got, you got to be there to take the, the opportunities. So it was good to see. Um, really, really good to see. Um, nicely deserved. Well-deserved as well for the Aston Martin team. You know, well, that, historically, that team has always been the... Um, the team that achieves a lot with so little maybe now they have a, a little bit more investment um probably the, the most investment they've ever had uh in that team's history but that will take a few years to really you know show show you know where they can be but um it was it, it's a good it's a good start to um i guess that era for aston martin especially after the first couple of dodgy races to get a podium you know is, is really confidence boosting especially for Vettel because um, we've seen as well that the teams that are the drivers that swap teams or returning drivers seem to struggle a little bit and you know Vettel now to get a podium um, with his new team is something that he, he that was really really tough to achieve with Ferrari last year I mean now he's only something like five points away from his entire tally that he achieved with Ferrari last year his entire points tally so um yeah, a, a really strong start and um really really happy for him. It's like it's like you know that saying that everyone used to have if you're you know you're everyone's a Ferrari fan. I think that's sort of evolved now into everyone say Sebastian Vettel fan. <laughs> it feels um, like it, doesn't it? <laughs> Yeah, cuz it's you know he he's a very humble guy. He's very aware and he's 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 had a a tough time but um you know hopefully this Aston Martin partnership will will be something very good for him and to get a podium this early on um i'm sure will only serve him and the team um well going forward absolutely i mean i I, on the look thing i'm going to use my usual line um yes perhaps a look for that podium but you've got to be in that position to capitalize on the look when it falls your way blah 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 spent four years saying that nearly anyway uh, but just in terms of sort of You've said there about his points tally that that brings him sort of into plays in the top ten. Now he's actually ahead of Stroll. I would say Stroll had the better first four races out of the two. To be fair, so the, I know Stroll had his DNF at the weekend, but um, it, it's good to see him jump into that top ten. But what it's done for Aston Martin, I think they've actually lost a position, unless I'm wrong, um, because AlphaTauri obviously Gasly third and Sonoda scored as well, so they've actually dropped a place. But um, they're only a couple of points behind AlphaTauri. They are McLaren are in fourth on ninety two, Ferrari a third in ninety four in on ninety four points. Um, even if this this is the start of Vettel sort of turning things around, it's a big ask 
I know I know we're having a very chaotic season and we're getting lots of surprises and lots of excitement and drama, but it seems like even at this early stage for Aston Martin to overturn the advantage that Ferrari and McLaren have already, just to reiterate, Ferrari 94, McLaren 92, Aston Martin 37, it seems like quite an uphill struggle unless that car does get to racing point 2020 levels of competitiveness. Do you think the battle really now, Stuart, for Aston is fifth place? Is that Has that got to be their target now minimum this season? I think so. I think, you know, the way the constructors have shaken out over the first six races, it looks like we've got four tiers. Um, you've got that clear Red Bull Mercedes battle at the top and then Ferrari and uh, McLaren very close. That's going to be really exciting to watch. Uh, third tier, Alpha Tauri, Aston, Alpine, all pretty close to each other. I'm interested to see if Alpine can sort of be a bit more consistent with that. And then obviously the Alpha Romeo has Williams at the bottom. So I think realistically, Alf, Aston Martin are going to be focusing on that battle for fifth with Alpha Tauri and, and Alpine. I, I, they, I think they'd be disappointed if they didn't get fifth, if they, if they couldn't, uh, you know, take that. And I, think they'd probably hope to take it quite comfortably but at least <laughs> at least to just clinch it by the end um i think they know where they are this season i think they are probably more likely thinking right our all-out assault will be will be next year this is definitely going to be some kind of transition year for us we're not where we want to be and i think um dragging ourselves up to that ferrari mclaren battle is is a bit too much as you say I think, I mean, if the last 18 months has taught us anything, it's you can never write anything off, can you? It's been such a chaotic year yes. with Formula One in general. So just because they are where they are right now, I'm not saying that they can't finish third um, and there are still plenty of points on the table. I just think Ferrari look good. McLaren look good. They're not going to just suddenly fall away, I wouldn't expect. So it's going to need Aston to really pull something out to claw that gap back. But we'll see. But just to go back to Sebastian Vettel quickly, Fergal, just kind of... Um, I guess to answer the question really <laughs> that was put forward, uh, do we? I don't want to be sceptical. I feel like this is more track specific because you know, particularly Monaco is the great leveler as they like to call it. So, I, and, and like I say, experience could be so important there. But I do think this might be track specific, and we'll see. In Paul Ricard, I could be completely wrong. And honestly, I hope I am. Do I want Sebastian Vettel and Aston Martin up there fighting with McLaren and Ferrari for the odd podium when the others trip up? Absolutely, of course I do. Um, but do we think it's probably more track specific than that car suddenly, what feels like overnight, just turning around? Yeah, well, I think definitely they started the year, um, you know, a bit behind the likes of Ferrari and McLaren. And to pull that back will be very difficult, especially as the season goes on, um, when, you know, teams start to, you know, put their full focus on the 2022 car if they haven't already. Um, so, yeah, it, it'll be interesting to see exactly where they are come um, France and, and so on. But, yeah, I, I think so far it, in the early stages of the season still does suggest that it's Ferrari and, and McLaren that are battling for P3 um, and that that battle behind is very much between Aston Martin, Alpine, and um, and AlphaTauri, all the A's. Um, so yeah, it's it's. I mean, I don't think P five would be a, a bad result for Aston Martin, but I think it would do it because it's so tight. It's going to be very very difficult to achieve. Um, but you know they've got a they've got a, a decent lineup, especially if Vettel can um, 
you know, really pull back to where he was a couple of years ago, really pull out those performances again. Maybe it'll be a little bit tougher for him because he'll be racing in the midfield compared to, you know, at the front where we've seen him thrive before. Um, and, you know, Stroll, we know Stroll has speed. We, he, he's shown that plenty of times before. Um, and if he can, you know, get that consistency in there, um, it'll be a very, very solid lineup that will aid their fight, which I personally do think is for uh, P5 in the championship. But um, yeah, it'll be it'll be tough. But um, yeah, intrigued to see see what happens. Um, and you know, if it's that tight, then it would be very, very exciting to see if it would actually be the driver rather than the car and the whole team. I know the team plays a big role, but it would make it a lot more exciting if it came down to the on-track qualifying and race speed of the individual drivers. Um, yeah, that would make it a lot more exciting. But um, yeah, we'll see how it goes. It's been a great start to the season. Whatever happens from here on in, I think it's going to be uh, it's going to be brilliant this year. Uh, we've got a couple of minutes. So I'm going to I'm going to throw some speedy questions at you. Uh, let's let's see if you can answer them in as as few words as possible. Uh, we all love a good waffle, so this could be interesting. Could still be here in a week. Uh, <laughs> uh, I'll do one each. So I'll come to I'll come to you first, Fergal. Seeing as we were kind of chatting there, um, it's it's not really answering a question, but. Um, Valtteri Bottas, shocking weekend, long way off in the championship now, super quickly. Is he out of the running this year? Is he going to be a, a Barrichello 2.0, if you like, and just be Mercedes number two? How do I answer this in as short as possible? <laughs> um, I think, yeah, I, I mean, I think so. Well, I, I don't think he's in contention for the title. I, You know, he hasn't been over the last couple of years, and it's been a, a pretty disastrous start to his year. Not always his fault. But um, it's been it's been tough, um, and I think especially as the season goes on, it's going to be his. If if Verstappen and Hamilton are very very close to each other, it'll be I guess up to him to help Hamilton out in that championship um, once again, uh, which is a shame for him. But it, certainly, if it keeps going like this, yeah, he won't be in championship contention. I think. Uh, Fifty Alaron wants to know, Stuart. After six races, which driver has shown the most positive improvement, or who has impressed you the most from the driver switching teams? So your rookies, like, and that includes Alonso, <laughs> as that young, that hot young driver we all know him as. Oh, good question. Um, I mean, at the moment, it it does kind of look like Vettel, doesn't it? But I, it, we're stuck in this tricky little section where we've just had a couple of just, you know slightly different street checks and i'm like are they, is, is this a flattering to deceive thing uh obviously very very happy for perez uh and it's a nice segue to the last question i think obviously uh hamilton verstappen is is the is the battle this season but bottas needs to be where perez is right now picking up pieces um where, where possible so yeah i think it's between Vettel and, and perez for me Awesome. And I'll answer this one catching on YouTube. What is your take on deciding uh, on a red flag with only five to go? Should the FI not have let the race continue to a natural end under the safety car? Uh, catching found it quite gimmicky to restart the race with only two to go. Uh, I kind of touched on it earlier. I think the red flag from um, an entertainment perspective was the right thing to do. You probably could have covered it under safety car but that kind of brings what was a brilliant race to an anti-climax and i kind of get why the fia uh, and the stewards decided they wanted to red flag that so i do agree i think it was right to red flag it 
Um, I think as well, most importantly on safety grounds, yes, the safety car was out, but cars are still moving pretty swiftly under that safety car. Even a tyre blow under the safety car, the field bunched up, could cause uh, not as big a collision as Verstappen and Stroll had, but certainly could have easily caused a collision that would have caused even more chaos. So I think the red flag was the right call on safety and from an entertainment perspective, which we've we've talked about already. But I think we're we're going to wrap it up there for for this one. Um, I kept to time. <laughs> wow, um, <laughs> it's a miracle. I am shocked. It's a I miracle. Am shocked. <laughs> um, <laughs> Thank you very much, Fergal, for popping on, mate. It was great to talk to you, finally. We've been chatting on and off for uh, two or three years now, so it was great to finally sit down and chat uh, super quickly. Are you looking forward to Paul Ricard? It's so exciting, isn't it? <laughs> I'll just say yes. It's just easier to say yes. <laughs> I mean, I look forward to any F1 race, um, regardless of the track. Um, so, yeah, yes, I am looking forward to it. <laughs> I like it very diplomatic uh, and, and thank you as well Stuart uh, as always yeah Paul Ricard next it is what it is but it's been it's been one of those seasons it could be the best race of the year for all we know and, and Sochi might follow us even better who knows we are due a good one in Paul Ricard and to be honest with with the championship shaping up as it is um, I think every race is 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 quite exciting to me Absolutely. I can't wait for that one. But we are going to wrap it up there, like I say. Uh, thank you to both of you coming on. Thank you to you guys for listening as well. If you're watching on YouTube, you can listen over on Spotify and on SoundCloud. And if you're listening on Spotify and SoundCloud, you can listen over on YouTube as well. So uh, please do subscribe if you're new on YouTube. Don't forget to drop a like as well. I think you can like on SoundCloud uh, and make sure you're following for future podcast episodes. Like I say, we'll try and do one of these uh, after every race weekend. Just a great way to kind of sit and chat with you all. I will be back. When will I be back? Probably Thursday with another video. There'll be news roundup out this weekend uh, as well and then we've got three races back to back france styria and austria all being well fingers crossed uh, so lots to come over the next few days weeks and months the summer break is cruising up to us uh, that's not far away but we'll wrap it up there links to social media uh, in the description as well like i said don't forget to subscribe and drop a like as well i'll do my sign out i'll breathe first though uh thank you for watching i've been sure this has been the f1 word and until next time goodbye <laughs>